0: People die every single day. For most people, that statement is a cliché. For a certain kind of journalist, though, it's a job description and a workflow. For obituary writers like the one we have on staff here at the Enterprise, every single assignment is the story of a lifetime. You're listening to The Upper Cape Catch by The Enterprise, where we bring you news and sounds from Falmouth, Mashpee, Bourne, and Sandwich. I'm Kurt Ashen. Recently, the whole newsroom, and I mean everybody, received an email from a reader who wasn't quite happy about an obituary we had published. The text of the obituary didn't quite match what the person had written as a tribute to their loved one, and they weren't happy about it. The whole episode got us talking within the newsroom about just what an Enterprise obituary is and what it ought to be. So I invited our obit writer, Jane Iafredi, to sit down with me in the studio. Hi, Jane. Hi, Kurt. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, listen, you're, you're the obit person, if I may use that shorthand here at the Enterprise. Um, how do you feel about that label?
1: <laughs> the obit person, it's, it's not a bad uh, nomenclature for sure. I don't really think about obits in the same way that a lot of other people think about obits. Um, obits are about life. People think about obits at the end of a person's life, but truly what we're trying to express to readers through obituaries is an essence of how a person lived.
0: It's so daunting. I mean, it's almost like the way you frame it there, it sounds like a report card for a life in a way, or a a, a summary. You know, it's like this is uh, sort of the, the, the note to your heavenly parents that you send home from school. You know, this is how he he or she did in life, you know? I
1: I think that's a really interesting way to put it, and a lot of people do uh, approach their obituaries that way, Mm -hmm. um, if they have control over them.
0: So give me a day in the life.
1: As the obituary writer at the Falmouth Enterprise and all of the Enterprise newspapers, I'm generally checking local obituaries every day, either at the the funeral homes that are arranging the the services or in other local newspapers, other websites like Legacy.com, where you know, it's sort of become a repository for all uh, all obituaries. And just seeing what's out there, who is who has died, um, are they from our readership area, um, and what do I need to think about to take what the family has delivered to us, and expand it if necessary.
0: So the linchpin source is the funeral homes or the, I guess, what in a previous era might have been called the undertaker.
1: Yes. But more often than than not here in Falmouth in, in the enterprise readership zone, families come in. Uh-huh. They've typed it up on their computer and they bring in a piece of paper and say, I would like to I would like to have my loved ones obituary or my friends obituary in the newspaper, mm. um, and we t- we take it from there. There are two types of obituaries that run in the enterprise newspapers. The first one is called an in loving memory, and those are written and published exactly how the family ha- um, would like them to run. Um, We usually run a photo, we run a flag if a person has had past military experience, um, and we run the obituary very much like an ad.
2: Mm.
1: A person pays for it, and the the, in loving memory runs in each of the newspapers. Um, And then there are news obituaries, which, um, which are really what sets the enterprise newspapers apart from almost every other newspaper in the country. We are committed to ensuring that if a, you know, if a family is not paid for an in-loving memory tribute, um, we want to make sure that our community understands who has passed and what their, what their life was like. So we run those without cost to the family, um, but they follow a more of a news style, like a, you know, if a prominent politician had died and their obituary was in the Boston Globe. Mm-hmm. It follows that sort of style.
0: Same template. Exactly. That's a very interesting and very distinct thing about the enterprise. As I understand it, uh, it's it's an either or. So if the family can't afford an an ILM, an in-loving memory, they'll purchase space in the paper, and then they have more or less editorial control over uh, what that says, what the obituary, the purchased obituary says, right? Correct. Bit of a family infomercial in the paper kind of thing for, for this life that was lived. And then the news obituary, it can almost be a misleading name because it's not necessarily somebody who made news. Uh, It could be, you know, the plumber down the street. It's somebody that most people never interacted with. But you consider, we consider, the paper considers, somebody in this community dying as newsworthy in and of itself.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It really is. um, It places value on every life. Hmm. Right. So everybody has stories to tell. Um, And unfortunately for most of us, this is the final news story about our lives that our community will read.
0: So who do you, at the end of the day, write them for? Are you writing them as um, something aimed at the servicing the ache of these people that have lost somebody they love? Or is it meant to be a general interest story? Are you, are you selling a general readership uh, kind of consumer on this story with your writing?
1: You've ra- That's a really good question. So um, as somebody who is new to obituary writing outside of family members who have passed, um, I really had to wrap my head around the audience question. And the audience is the community. With, of course, the sensibilities of understanding that we're writing about people who more often than not leave loved ones in our community. Mm -hmm. So we want to be respectful for them. But our primary audience for these obituaries is community and readers of the enterprise and, you know, posterity. Um, As somebody who um, has done a lot of research into the genealogy of my own family, my in-laws, having really, having accurate, reliable resources for research, you know, hundreds of years into the past um, is important. And One of the things that I keep in mind as I'm writing these obituaries is that it's very possible that hundreds of years from now, somebody will be looking for this person as a missing link in some family somewhere, and this obituary may provide them with the right kind of knowledge to help them understand their family better.
0: And in a small community like this one, um, it is really a symbol that everybody is important, that uh, everybody gets a write-up of some kind. do we, we don't redundantly do ILMs, in living memories, and news obituaries, right?
1: We do not. And uh, for the Falmouth paper, that's a new development. Um, and really, that's just started in, within the last week.
0: So you are spared that agonizing kind of uh, triage, news triage, that an editor or a writer goes through. Does this person get an obit? Because everybody gets an obit. Or they get a, a purchased space in the paper. Everybody gets ink. Yes. And here at our paper, uh, we've, you know, we've had some feedback. (laughs) Maybe we could say pushback Um, when folks feel something has been left out of the obituary or perhaps the thing that we write, you write, does not agree exactly with what uh, the person wrote for, say, a funeral service or for the funeral home webpage. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: I can. It, it's really it's it's challenging. I mean, people who submit obits are in a very special place in their lives, right? They are grieving. They may have been at. They're now at the end of a very long struggle that a loved one has been through, and so they're they're thinking about tributes. They're thinking about this person is gone, and I need to. Um, I need to create sort of the, a eulogy in a way for them that we will publish in the paper. News obituaries are, by and large, not tributes. They could include quotes from friends, um, which are, you know, those are my favorite kinds of news obituaries to write when I have the opportunity to actually talk with family members and friends of, lo- of a person who's passed um, and get a, get a sense from different points of view. Um, But yes, the pushback happens when somebody will send us um, a a very laudatory obituary about somebody um, that, that tells us how much they cared for that person, but doesn't tell us a lot about that person's life.
0: A lot of superlatives, maybe a lot of poetic language. They've earned their angel wings, that kind of thing, right?
1: It happens a lot of euphemisms i mean i I think that most most people try to write what what they believe is a very straightforward obituary for a person. Mm. Um, but when you layer upon that sort of news values, um they sound they do sound very laudatory and, and you know a lot of a uh, lot of adjectives, a lot of uh, a lot of data points that may not translate to the general audience.
0: It's not hard to put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's grieving. You know, you, you're you thinking in terms of what's spilling over in inside of you, inside of your own heart. You tend to talk in, in extreme emotional language about the person you've lost because that's just where you are. That's how you feel.
3: Exactly. Hello, hello.
0: Hey, Kristen. This is Kurt. I'm here with Jane.
3: Hi. Hi. (laughs) Hello.
0: Kristen Hare specializes in writing obits at the Pointer Institute. She's somebody that Jane says she looks up to in her work. So, you know, we've been talking about obituaries, the the art, the science. What's the DNA of a good obituary, of a meaningful obituary?
3: I love this question because it's not about who writes it or where it runs, but what makes it great. And I think universally, whether it's um, a paid obit, or a submitted obit from a family, or a reported one like Jane and I do. Um, I think what makes a great obit is just the, the details that make someone come back to life and that help us know who they were past the cliches that we fall into using when someone has died, because grief is is obviously hard. I know that's an <laughs> understatement. and um, And so we say things like, you know, she was a great person. He was a pillar of the community, a lover of people, you know, we, we fall on into these cliches. So I think really, it boils down to details that show us who someone was, whether they were a scoundrel or a saint. The details are what make obits really just delicious to read
0: what kind of details spring to mind, like in obituaries that you've written, what kind of telling details really, you know, get the story across?
3: Yeah, and these are hard to get, I have to say again, because people are often thinking about final arrangements. Sometimes they're shocked, they're always sad. Um, And so the details that I think are the best are just the really small ones that show who a person was. So one of my favorites was um, I was writing a story about a, a, a university math professor. And um, one of the details his daughters gave me early on was that his wife had to sew a button to the very top of his button-up shirt so that he could be buttoned not just to the top, but all the way right into <laughs> the right to the middle of his throat. He had to add an extra button. And and that was who he was. He was meticulous. He was detailed. So those kinds of details that, that help you kind of do the work uh, without saying he was meticulous and he was detailed. Um, another one uh, of a, a bar owner slash mayor slash Marine um, and kind of fixture of a, a local rural community up here in Florida that I wrote about just this last week was that though this man, Ralph, was was very wealthy and very powerful, Um, he fixed all of his equipment, all of his um, machinery himself. If something broke, he figured out how to fix it. Um, And the other detail I loved was that he loved having dinner at his bar, which I think shows you he wasn't fussy. He wasn't fancy. He was a regular guy who just did really well by building his
1: Community. I know that you do workshops for people all all over the country through your connection to the Pointer Institute. Um, tell me about some of the what are the top two or three things that you tell new obituary writers about how they should uh, consider how they uh, go about their craft.
3: I think the first one is just being aware that. Um, of the terrain that you're entering, right? The waters that you're entering are troubled. Um, whether that was because the people you're talking to are sad that someone died or not, um, grief is really difficult to navigate if you've never experienced it yourself. And so being extra careful with people, um, you know, there's a lot of journalism that is thinking uh, as it should be about our audiences, but I feel like obituaries. We need to do a little extra work with the, the subjects um, because we're writing about death, and because in my case, um, and I think in in your case, Jane, these are often aren't famous people. They're just members of our community. They they are not newsworthy, and they do not owe us their time or um, or attention. And so, um, I want to be really careful. Hing up on that.
0: I mean, in a major metro, it's very clear you're doing kind of a triage for who made news, who is a newsmaker, and ergo, they get an obituary, right? Here, in a small paper, um, everybody gets some form of recognition. Uh, Everybody either gets a purchased in living memory kind of thing, or they Mm -hmm. get a news-style obituary. And what I wondered was, who are you writing that for? Is it more targeted towards those in the circle of grief, or is it more towards the general community, or is that an irrelevant question?
3: it's oh, a great question. Um, and uh, the stories that I'm writing for the Tampa Bay Times are not about newsmakers. Typically, they're not about, they they, they will not run the day that, or the day after. Sometimes they'll run up to a month after someone has died. And I am um, writing them for our community so that they can understand who we've lost, the life that they lived, and and what they have in common. Um, I think the best thing that obituaries can do is tell us about our community and the people who lived here. And in a time where media can divide us, I think obituaries are a way that we can remember what we have in common. So I'm absolutely writing it for members of my community. And, and those communities get parsed into you know little buckets, whether you loved you know, the the bar that Ralph owned, or you were, um, you know, a member of the drag club that someone I wrote about um, helped found or, you know, whatever, all of these communities that, that form up in our lives here, but we're, we're joined together in a physical space too. And I think that's a really important thing that obits do. So for sure they're for the general public, the benefit I think then is that the family gets to know that more than just their circle of family and friends are are remembering the life of the person that they love.
0: Jane mentioned a while ago that uh, everyone should write their own obituary. That's how she feels. I wonder if you subscribe to the same advice.
3: 100%. Listen to Jane. Everyone should write their own obit. I have written mine. Um, I have taught uh, a a course and written a newsletter about how to write your own obit. Um, I think... If you're also not like, you know, if your parents, depending on how old they are, or, or family members, aunts and uncles, um, you should be talking to them um, about their own lives, doing oral histories. These are these are details that are important to catch. And what I found is um, that a lot of times, kids especially, um, and I have kids myself, I they have a teen and a tween, they're listening, they may hear stories a million times, but they're not going to get the details. And they may not get the right details. And so, for instance, one of the things I'll often hear from kids is, well, her her greatest job was being a mother. And I'll think to myself, especially if they had a professional career, I wonder what she would say. Obviously, we love our children and they are one of our accomplishments, but certainly not the only one. And so I think if you want your story to be told correctly, you need to write your own obit. That might just be in the form of some major details that you want people to know little anecdotes about who you were, what you loved, people that they might want to talk to. But I highly recommend doing it. It is um, an emotional and a uh, kind of uh, an activity that will wear you down pretty quickly. So you don't need to go into countless rounds of edits, maybe once every five or 10 years, check in on it, see what you need to add. Um, But yeah, for sure, write your own obit, it's your story. And if you don't tell it, nobody else will.
0: But the short answer is listen to Jane.
3: Absolutely. Listen to
2: Jane.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there aren't too many of us doing this anymore. I mean, you could count them on one hand. i got a few for you. Ms. Miller, it's Bruce Weber at the New York Times. We would like to uh, run an obituary about your husband. This is a little sound sample from the YouTube trailer of the 2016 documentary film, Obit, which Jane and I both watched.
1: Obit is about how the New York Times decides which news obituaries um, to run. And uh, I found it really enlightening. I read the obi- I read the obituaries in a lot of newspapers.
0: You must um, have been like, I've found my people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, exactly.
0: It's so funny because the, the, the person in the, the, the documentary says, you know um, the slinky guy and I think Brezhnev, died roughly about the same time.
1: Who do you pick? Well, you know,
0: obviously Brezhnev <laughs> is going to be the longer more thoughtful kind of the the weightier obit with so much gravitas. But I bet people read the slinky guy first, he said.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we hear from readers all the time here that that you know, the two things in the in the newspapers that they read religiously, so to speak, pun intended, uh, are the obits and the court reports. Mhm. Right. So and then you know, the police logs. Um, so it's really it, it puts a little bit added pressure on me knowing that so many people do read the obituaries. Mm-hmm. And I want them I want them to be as informative and as, uh, you know, important to our readers as they view them.
2: Hello. Yeah. Is this correct?
0: To our surprise and delight, the director of Obit, Vanessa Gould, was available to talk to Jane and myself. What did someone who obsessed about obituaries for a feature-length film have to say about the process?
2: It's interesting. Obits can serve many, many different functions in many, many contexts, and I uh, uh, myself sort of learned that through experience. One of the primary subjects of the film that I made prior to Obit, who was a sort of relatively unknown, but uh, important artist in France died in his mid fifties of lung cancer. And I had gotten to know him pretty well. Uh, And uh, when he died, um, there was this sort of, there were all these different layers of um, thoughts and experiences I was having. On one level, a very personal, almost familial one Um, but there was a cultural element too, since he was an artist working kind of in a way that was pretty singular. And so, um, I ended up contacting about 30 newspapers around the world, really mostly in France and and many of the English language, European papers, and then the big ones in the United States. And the only one that, uh, responded to me was the New York times and they, uh, They ran a very lengthy obituary on this pretty unknown artist, which in fact sort of put him on the map, his obituary did. Um, And the process of that just got me thinking so much about um, how we capture life and and the various purposes that it serves. Um, You were talking about uh, people in Falmouth being unhappy with language. That's sort of a personal, in that case, it's sort of like a personal um, requirement for obits um, from a memorial standpoint, but there's also a cultural standpoint and a journalistic standpoint and a historical, even biographical standpoint. And so all these thoughts sort of intersected for me um, through this singular experience. And I started looking at the pages of the of the editorial obituaries in the New York Times. Those are different from the, um, the paid, I can't remember what they're called right now, but the sort of smaller... Paid placement obituaries, um, and uh, and I realized that like every day there are these stories that are being told of people who I largely had never heard of before, um, being told by journalists at a, a newspaper, and it just it just absolutely captivated me. And so, um, as it's not there are there there's many similarities, in fact, to documentary filmmaking. And so I uh, contacted them and. That's how it began.
0: I will confess, as somebody who whose day-to-day job is not writing obits, uh, I never really spent much time reading them either, and I, I didn't appreciate I I kind of looked at them as, you know, something that needs to get done, and it's almost a service to the, the sort of circle of grief around the person who has uh, passed on. But this film that you've made um, kind of opened my eyes. There's at one point someone in the film who says, you know, this— this obituary, this article, is your one chance to make the dead live again. And um, somebody else describes the art of writing the obit as making it seductive to the general reader and really drawing them into the, the sort of history that is uh, contained within that life. And when I look at it with those eyes, I, I, it, it is like watching tiny bite-sized, individualized bits of history. And it makes it makes reading obituaries that much more appealing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I had the same experience, Kurt. I had never read obituaries and never really thought about them before. Um, I, as a documentary filmmaker, um, this is sort of what activates me, is when I'm going through my daily life and then I have a sort of a minor discovery about the depth of an idea that seemed either banal or cursory or sort of non-interesting to me. Um, and it's sort of the, the maxim, you know, if you, the, the, the deeper you look, the more interesting it gets.
1: So we feel that it's an important community service and a part of the history of our community to make sure that everybody who passes gets a no um, That's very unusual, and we often find ourselves making the case To families, or you know, sometimes to the community, about why we do that. Where um, most people are accustomed to buying buying something, they write a tribute to their loved one, um, and it runs exactly the way it runs. What we do is we take information in the same way that the New York Times does, but on a much smaller scale. Um, We take what we know about somebody, we do a little bit of research, and we try to bring them to life, make them alive again to sort of tell their last story. Our, Our publisher puts it best. He says, this is somebody's final news story. So let's do the best that we can with them.
2: Um, that's really remarkable, Jane. Both of you. I've never actually heard of a community doing that before. It's definitely um, uh, incredibly notable. Um, and it, it, it is like you're doing sort of an editorial treatment at a very local level, um, which has you know historical value um, in addition to community value. But you, but it sounds like you're really um, treading the line like on a daily basis between the personal function of an obituary and the historical one.
0: I believe somebody in your film says, you know, there's the thing you're looking for and then there's the thing you find in the process of looking for that thing and that thing that you find is more interesting than the thing you were looking for. So it's really, you know, pulling a, a a thread on a sweater, isn't it? And and just kind of coming out with this unspooling of uh, a, a real snapshot in history. And you, your film described it as inherently retrospective so you're seeing this snapshot of history from you know maybe forty fifty years ago um, and and in the process of reading it kind of contextualizing it into the present that that's what I perceive now after having seen your film kind of the opportunity of reading an obituary to be
2: absolutely it's amazing um even when you go on microfiche or, or whatever, if you're doing research, and, and begin to look at the local news stories and advertisements, just how fascinating these forgotten pieces of history are. And it's 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 instructive and illuminating and, and joyous to sort of revisit these things. In the film, that was sort of like made manifest in the scenes in which we go into the New York Times archive, which is strangely called the morgue. Um, and there's right. there's like hundreds and hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of drawers of old newspaper clippings, physical copies of, of papers that have been clipped for a um, hundred years. And it's, it was almost like the physical um, equivalent of like memory. <laughs> it was really, really wild. And any drawer you open is like is exactly like what you just said. Like The deeper you look, the more interesting it gets and the more you discover. And you come in for one thing and you leave... Um, knowing much more and with a greater perspective on, on like, what your question was.
0: It's a passionate niche of people that, um, you know, that write and also consume obits. And I'd like to, as we move towards, I guess, uh, letting you go here, I want to ask both you and Jane a a question that is posed in your film and that some of your film subjects answer. Um, The question is, does writing obits change you. I can pose that straight to Jane, and I guess uh, you could ask, I could ask you, does, you know, making a documentary film about writing obits change you, or did it change you? Let me go ahead and ask Jane that first. What do you think?
1: Well, I think it absolutely changes a person to write obituaries. The first obituary that I had ever written is for my mother, who is still alive, um, and going through and sort of surreptitiously doing interviews with her in every conversation to uncover more of her background and more of her passions and her loves uh, has been an incredible experience. And that's really me. The the experience of that is what I bring to the work that I'm doing now. I've been writing obits for a very short time professionally uh, here at the Enterprise. Um, and that that experience informs me. I think it brings a certain level of care uh, and compassion to the families who are grieving and sort of understanding some of those issues that people have with the language of news versus the language of tribute um, and making sure that I'm doing right by both the families and the community to tell these stories every day
0: mm. And Vanessa, did documenting the writing of obits professionally change you in some way?
2: It sure did. Uh, it's, it's almost hard to describe. I think it's, um, I thought a lot about history and the passage of time and the pace of the passage of time. Just also the, the effect that people have on, on the world around them. You know, like it just was like, it brought into sharp relief just a lot of existential observations it. I don't know that it made me live my life any differently, but the depth of sort of insight and just communion with um, some of the larger things we ask ourselves was was profound, and that will stay with me forever.
0: Special thanks to Vanessa Gould, director of OBIT, and to Kristen Hare of the Pointer Institute for joining our conversations today. The Upper Cape Catch by The Enterprise comes out every Friday. Follow us wherever you find podcasts, and be sure to check out our back catalog as well. You can like and review us to help us reach more listeners. And don't forget to pick up our newspaper on Fridays at sellers all around town. Our website is capenews.net. I'm Kurt Ashen. Thanks for listening.